I'm Margaret Feinberg, and this is the Joycast. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Joycast, the hap hap happiest half hour of your week. As always, I'm your host, Margaret Feinberg. And in case you were wondering, I'm still on the keto diet after gaining 15 pounds writing my latest book and Bible study, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. I wanted to tell you about something I recently discovered called FabFitFun. Now, those are three fun F-words. If you don't already know about it, it's a seasonal box with full-size, hear me again, full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. The box I received is epic. Each season's box features a variety of amazing quality brands like Tarte, Kate Somerville, Anthropology, Free People, Dr. Brent, and more. Check out www.fabfitfun.com and use the code JOYCAST so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and use the code JOYCAST. We're so grateful for their partnership and sponsorship of today's podcast. I recently traveled to the other side of the globe with an organization known as World Help to better understand cultural slavery and the sex industry in Thailand. I knew it was going to be dark, but nothing could have prepared me for what I saw. On the outside, Bangkok is a bustling city, but when the sun goes down, the red light district lights up. It's easy to think this is a problem on the other side of the world, but the streets fill with men from the United States and other Western nations. Western men select women according to their number printed on their outfit, order sex acts from menus, and throw ping pong balls at the women as if they're animals. From secret menus, the girls they take home can be 12 years old or younger. Some of the men try to rationalize their acts by saying, she chose this life. I'm helping her. She wants it. But no one chose this. The women come because culturally they must support their family. So they've come to Bangkok for work, never expecting to end up in this industry. If you look close in their faces and in their eyes, you'll see a hollowness. Some attempt to cover their faces or body parts in shame. For those who have just started working, you can still see the shyness and embarrassment and loss of innocence. It's painful to watch. It's even more painful to listen to their stories. Like Lamai, who in the bar shared that it was her 25th birthday. When asked if she had any plans to celebrate, she said no. She had to work 28 to 30 nights in the bar every month just to keep her job. She spent her birthday selling her body for around $15. She had no other choice. You see, that's what poverty does. It takes away your ability to choose and gnaws on the fibers of what it means to be human. For just a little bit of funds, you can help introduce one girl to a freedom she has never known. You can provide things like a safe place to live, education, medical care, counseling, outreach, and so much more. That's why I've invited my friend, 
and fellow Joy Bomber, Lori Wilhite, on the Joycast today. She's the founder of Leading and Loving It, a conference for pastors, wives, and women in ministry. And in fact, that event feeds my soul so much. It is the one event I buy a ticket to every year and make sure I don't miss it. Her husband, Judd Wilhite, is the senior pastor at Central Christian Church in Las Vegas, and she's author of a stunning book, My Name is Victorious. Woo, is it good. To fully experience the joy of the table, we have got to learn how to work together to rescue others from the cultural slavery of sex trafficking. So pull up a chair. You don't want to miss this incredible interview. Lori, it is such a joy to have you on the podcast. Oh, Margaret, it's always great to get to be with you. Oh, and you and I shared this incredible experience last summer, and that you and I traveled to Thailand with World Help in order to better understand the cultural enslavement of sex trafficking. And that was one of those trips that it changed my life forever, and I know it changed yours, because we got to see firsthand what that cultural enslavement of sex trafficking, what it looked like. I mean, they took us uh, day by day, and I felt like it got deeper and darker each day. Um, as we were on that trip, did you feel like it was kind of that kind of experience? Yeah, it was, it was like this trip mixed with, um, there were some really hopeful moments and then there were some really, really dark, difficult moments. The great thing about it is that all of them were, you know, incredibly impactful. Um, cause I certainly have not been the same <laughs> since, since we kind of witnessed and got to experience what we did. Now, I know some of the listeners may be thinking, wait a second, this is the Joycast. Why are we talking about the dark and the difficult? But as you know, when it comes to this season, we're talking about the table and what it means to pull up a chair to the table. And part of discovering joy around the table and tasting and seeing God's goodness is being aware of those who don't have a seat at the table and maybe never, ever had a chance to. And I think that's what you and I got to see in Thailand. I remember that first night we were taken just just briefly because they knew we were exhausted. We'd flown in, but they took us to a street called Soy Cowboy. And that was a, a, a street that was made famous in one of the hangovers over movies. And as we walked down that street, there were women wearing nothing more than a bikini. And they didn't even have a name tag. They just had a number. And the men who walked down that street would order them not by name, but by number. And with just a little bit of cash, they could take those women anywhere in the city away on their own, do anything they wanted to them. And um, it, it was... It was dark. I'm curious what you saw when we walked down that street on that first night. Um, Soy Cowboy for me was a really interesting like trek down that street. I live in Las Vegas, um, the amazing city of Las Vegas that I and I, that I super love. I love everything about Vegas. But what was so strange as I walked down the street is they have actually named quite a few of those bars after Vegas casinos. So I'm walking down a street in Thailand, looking at the same fonts and names of hotels here in my city there. And instead of, you know, walking in and having a great time Vegas style in the Rio, which was one of the the bars there, I'm looking at these girls who are standing out in front and 
one of the things that struck me was just their eyes. When I would look into their eyes, um, not one of them looked like they wanted to be there. There was everything from sadness to embarrassment to um, just nothing, just vacancy. And I'm also seeing these men, 95% probably of whom are Western men, um, buying these girls. So here I am walking down a street that looks very similar to my street in my city, filled with men who look very similar to the men in my city and the cities all around the United States. But with these girls, these, these girls who just um, had to have been so desperate to put themselves in this kind of situation. And so it was really uh, that first night, I think really sobering. And it was almost like a meeting of my uh, two worlds for me of realizing that sometimes you can feel like this is a problem that has happens on the other side of the country and I don't, or the other side of the world. And I don't know if this is my problem, but here I am, I'm looking at hotel names that I recognize. I'm looking at men that look like every other man in America and realizing, no, this is our problem. This is our problem. These are Western men, um, these very Westernized uh, places. And this was a problem that I knew in that moment, like we needed to try to make a difference. And I think that's it. And just to call it out, I mean, these were men from California, from Utah, from Florida. These were Americans and yes, Western men, but, but specifically our nation's men. And I remember one of the things I, I made a dramatic mistake that night. I was so taken just by the, 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 the sensory of it, the bright lights, all the noise, all the people, all the motion. I was overwhelmed. And I remember pulling out my camera to take a photo of a couple of the girls just to try to capture or a video. And as soon as the camera came out, they all covered as best they could. I mean, they're, they're essentially standing there next to naked, but would cover their faces, would cover their chests as best they could. And, and I thought it was simply because, you know, I, I just thought, well, maybe they want to be paid to get a photo or maybe, and, and afterwards our hosts explained it was because they feel such shame about having to be there and sell their bodies. Yeah. It's, it's, a uh, you definitely understand when you're there. It's, it's a little bit different than the sex trafficking that we think of in the United States or that we think of, <laughs> I don't know, when you're maybe watching the movie Taken or something like that. This the cultural slavery aspect of this kind of sex sex trafficking is an important distinction. Um, you know, these are girls. There is there are no food stamps. There is no safety net uh, for the poor in Thailand. So what you have are girls who are culturally financially responsible for their families. They are sent from very very poor regions of the country to the city so that they can. Um, get a job and send money home, but they have no education, no job skills, and they arrive with very few options. And um, so that that really what traps them is extreme poverty, traps them into uh, sex trafficking. And so they don't want to be there. They uh, They just look miserable. And you're just reminded that the reason they're there is because they love their families and they're trying to feed their sisters or their children, um, make sure their families can survive. And it's that kind of desperation that has brought them to that point. And I think that 
really opened my eyes as well. I remember we, we heard this line a lot while we were there, but poverty is the pimp. And that sense that this is not, this is not, as you said, this is not the kind of sexual uh, trafficking that, that maybe we see in a film, but, but it's a sense, and it often happens, if I remember correctly, feel free to correct me, Lori, it starts in the North among those who are rice farmers and just barely hanging on. They get one bag, bad year. The landlord says, you'll lose everything. You'll have no home, no food. And, and they say, but, but if, you, if you give me your daughter to come work at this sewing factory, you know, I'll, I'll take that in exchange for you know, you're not being able to pay and, and she's, she'll be able to send some of the money back. And so she goes and works at a sewing factory that is horrific conditions. Then she gets offered maybe a different type of factory moving a little bit for, for further south. And this continues until one day she ends up in the city and they say, well, if you'll just be a bartender. And, and so you, you know, you come and you bartend and they say, well, if you'll just do a little dance, you'll get a little bit more money. And, and again, all she's trying to do is keep her mother her daughter, her father, possibly if she's had a daughter all alive, just sending them just, just a pittance of money a- until one day she wakes up and, and just in trying to survive, the next thing she knows is, you know, she's taking off all of her clothes, um, performing really, sh- really di- shameful act- acts that, that she doesn't want to do at all. And, and then being trapped in a system where, where the actual bars and the, the slavery causes people that that they 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 become indebted to the owner of the bar. So if they don't work so many days, if they don't produce so much money, then they owe more and more and more until they they can never get out. Is that is that kind of accurate to what you heard? You know, and the truth is if they leave, it, it most of them have there is nowhere for them to go. Again, they there's no there are no beds, there's no place, there's no government help for them. Um if they choose to leave, the bar will find somebody in a hot two seconds to fill that spot because there's so many people in that desperate of circumstances. And so um, it's a it's a really, really tragic kind of cycle that goes on um, with those girls. And, uh, you know, but the great news is that hope is just blocks away. That's what's exciting. Um, but it can be overwhelming. And I think one of the things that I like, as we walked down that street, we're looking at, you know, five, 10 girls in front of each bar. But what we came to realize is that just at soy cowboy on a, like in peak season kind of time, like on a weekend or whatever, um, there would be just on that one street alone, 10,000 girls for sale in the one street. Um, so we looked, we locked eyes with, you know, five or 10 in front of each bar, but back inside, there's so, so, so many more. Um, and so it can feel overwhelming, very overwhelming when you are looking at just the sheer number of girls who need help. And I think we got a glimpse of that also when we traveled up to Patia. And again, even went deeper into this culture of actually going into the bars, seeing the women, seeing the men who um, were were paying money for them to perform um, acts that you should never be paid to perform. I, I what took your breath away about being in Patia? I, there were a few things I noticed in Patia when we go, we went to walking street was the main place that we went to. It is kind of the red light district of that area. And it's also one of the original red light districts in that area going back to, I believe it was the Vietnam war, although it could have been the Korean war when our troops 
would go on furlough and they would go there. And that is really part of what launched the sex trafficking industry in that part of the world. And so we're walking down walking street and um, we are greeted with people holding out brochures, which listen, again, I live in Vegas. When I walk on the strip, I have people trying to hand me things too. So that is not unusual for me. The difference is what they were holding out to us were sex menus so that you could, if you were there for that reason, you would look at the menu, point to what you wanted. They would tell you where to go. And it just that is so jarring of a thought. And there were people standing and looking at those menus as we walked by and we just said, you know, no, thank you. (laughs) Obviously, no, thank you. But as we continue down the street, I mean, we are looking at people with their babies in strollers. Um, it, it was to me such an odd, uh, I don't know, contrast of like, I'm looking at moms with their babies on walking street where these girls are being sold literally steps away from them. It was just this totally bizarre uh, kind of experience. And I think it's at walking street, which was very large. It's very large. I think there were about 30,000 girls for sale on walking street. And, um, it, there's this one bar that says, uh, good guys go to heaven, but bad guys go to Patia. And I just, I don't know. It just made my stomach hurt that that was, um, being touted as something awesome. Congratulations. You're a bad guy. You're in Patia. Now you can do whatever you want. And, um, you know, I don't know if you remember this, Margaret, because I can't remember if you and I went into, in the same group into the bar, but there was a dad and a son and the dad, you could overhear them talking, but that was his son's high school graduation trip. That's what he had gotten for his kid to take him to Thailand to go experience whatever they were going to experience there. And it, you know, it's heartbreaking on so, so, so many levels, but it just goes to show you just the general attitude of some of the people that go there, just how little they think of the impact that they're making on these girls' lives. And yet I remember the day it got so dark, Lori, and then the light busted in and it was in the work that World Help was doing in that area. And we met some of the locals on the ground who one by one have been walking into those bars, forming relationships, and inviting those women to come and to live in a safe place, to get an education, to learn a skill, and to be able to escape the cultural enslavement they'd found themselves into. Talk to me about the joy and the delight of seeing that transformation. Well, you know, there were a few times I saw joy. Shockingly, one of those was in the bars. I saw it twice that when we would walk in with the Thai partners, that the girls would recognize them. And it was the one time when we were in those bars that I would see their eyes light up and they would point to them and they would pat their hearts and just like, I know you. And it was a really sweet moment surrounded by so much darkness. And what I was personally struck with at that moment was like, man, love, love can pierce any 
the darkest of darkest situations. And so I loved that. And then literally blocks away from there. Uh, there's a home, a fr- Hello Freedom home in uh, Bangkok and one in Pattaya as well. And as we got to visit with the girls who live there and hear their stories, um, hear how once they were being sold at a bar and now they're in school and studying to be a doctor. I mean, you talk about not just the, the single life change, which is in, like mind-blowing, incredible. When you think about the generational chains that are broken, when a girl finds freedom, when she finds safety, when she gets an education, when she um, gets job skills, it not only obviously incredibly impacts her life, but then her children, their children, they're, it's really a generational impacting kind of movement. And, um, you know, we now in America, obviously the Me Too movement is such a big thing. Um, and it's awesome. But in the midst of it, we can't forget girls like that who need people to speak up for them and help them um, because they don't have voices. And the women who run this program in Thailand are giving them a voice. And it's just a really, really beautiful, exciting thing. And along the way, not only are they getting all these job skills, but they're getting to meet the one man who is not going to hurt them, who is going to love them, who will never leave them, Jesus. And it's changing their lives. They're going to Bible school. They're saving, um, you know, bringing their family members to Christ. There's a house church planted in a communist country by one of the girls who had been rescued out. So God's doing really, really incredible things. And um, it was just so exciting to get to hear, just to hear their stories and hear how God is um, moving in their lives. I mean, just the just the impact of rescuing one girl is so profound. I remember the story that you that you are of the communist nation, and she went back and she told her family about Jesus and gave them a Bible, and they said, "We believe in Jesus." And so they started telling their other family members, their neighbors, their community. All of a sudden, all these people are becoming followers of Jesus. But of course, that is that is dangerous in a communist nation. And so one day, the police came to their house, and and they weren't sure what to do, and so they just gave them Bibles. And, and you see this fresh response of saying, you too can know Christ. And pretty soon what they're seeing is renewal and revival in that community and in that town. And so that's all from just rescuing one gal. And I love the skill that one of the primary skills that they're developing for this uh for these women is based on the fact that baking is actually a cutting edge technology and skill in Thailand, simply because most of the people don't have ovens in their home. And if you ever travel to there, Lori and I will vouch that it is so stinking hot, you will understand why. But what's happening right now in the nation is that cafes are becoming trendy and baked goods are in high demand. And so if you can provide a kitchen where the girls can learn to bake, it opens an incredible door for opportunity, not just for jobs, but but for opportunities to start their own businesses outside of the sex industry. And so it has been amazing over the course of the last few years how World Help has partnered with those on, on the ground in order to build a baking school. Do you want to tell us something about that? Yeah. I mean, we're so excited about the baking school. I do believe um, that education is the key to empowering women to a better future. And so this baking school is 
going to really capitalize on uh, the popularity. I mean, who doesn't love a cupcake? Right, Margaret? Who doesn't love a cupcake? <laughs> I want all of them. Um, all of them. But in Thailand, because, you know, as much as I love Thai food too, they just, they don't cook in ovens. And so to give these girls a skill that isn't, that is so unique in a country that loves their baked goods, but doesn't have the ability to make them, nor do they know how, it really sets them uh, on a path of uh, just a really hopeful future to get a job at a cafe or a bakery or a hotel or start their own business. It's a pretty incredible thing. And so we are so, so excited about the baking school. Um, it is, I believe, going to be absolutely uh, transformational in the lives of so many girls in the future as it goes forward. And I'm just so excited uh, for the the women who lead that ministry in Thailand uh, have uh, complete faith and trust the the business plan even that they have set up around the baking school is so impressive. And I'm just absolutely thrilled that we have gotten to be part of helping raise the funds for something that's going to change lives. And the beautiful part about the baking school is not only is it going to set the women free from the cultural enslavement of sex trafficking, but it's a self-sustaining business model. And here's the best part. Here's what I love. They have already have the building. It is paid for. They already have the construction and renovation. It is fully funded. And now all they need is the ongoing funds to just get it launched off the ground. And what I love is this is where you come in, that with your gift of as small as $25 or $50, you can help introduce a woman to freedom. And all you have to do is go to bakefreedom.causevox.com. That's bakefreedom.causevox.com. Or simply go to the show notes of this episode of the Joycast. And your small donation can make such a huge impact. Leif and I have already made multiple donations. We keep giving because we so believe in this. Lori, I would imagine you feel the same. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm, you know... I am thrilled. I really, really am. And it's, you know, what's funny, Margaret, unlike you, I am not a baker or a cook or in any, any sort of, uh, I'm not good in the kitchen at all. Uh, maybe I should go learn at the baking school. I don't know, but, um, I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to come alongside this opportunity. And, uh, my husband and I have been excited to give and, and I am, excited that over the next coming months and years that we get to hear about how it's impacting families and um, impacting the world for Jesus. And when you help introduce one woman to freedom, again, at bakefreedom.causevox.com, what happens is when that woman escapes the cultural enslavement of sex trafficking, then all of a sudden she wants to make sure that none of her younger sisters ever enter into that space. And with the ability to learn this skill and pass it on to our family members, as you said, Lori, we are breaking that generational bondage and we are setting generations free. And so I hope that you will join us in giving, supporting, and making sure that we are helping pull up a chair for those at the table who may not have access to one. Now, Lori, one of the things that we always do in the Joycast is we love to ask a favorite recipe from our guests. And I know you've already said you you do not like to cook. You're not a baker. I, I've heard that you're actually a big subscriber to HelloFresh. You love the meal delivery subscription plans. But when you're going to make something, what will you make? 
Well, I will say, even with my HelloFresh, whatever they say the time required to bake to cook the food is, I have to automatically double it. That is how bad I am in the kitchen. <laughs> but my kids tell me I make a mean PB and J, so you know, whatever, it's fine. Um, but I would say the one recipe that I make one time a year on Christmas is a strawberry pretzel salad. And it's, it's the one thing that I can actually do and do it well, and it'll be gone within 30 minutes. So that's, that's the recipe I have for you. Okay. I'm excited. I just need to know, can you just spell out a little, like a pretzel with a strawberry? Like do you break up the pretzels? Oh, now, Is now, there lettuce? Now. Oh, oh, not lettuce. Oh, we, why would we want something green to mess up our very fabulous sugary dessert? No, it is, um, the crust is made out of crumbled, uh, pretzels. And then of course it has quite a bit of butter and sugar. And then you get cream cheese and strawberries and it is, oh, it's divine. Ooh, I am excited to try that. And I know our listeners are too. Lori, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your passion and being on the Joycast today. Thank you so much, Margaret. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Joycast. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and you'd like to dive deeper into the unexpected joys awaiting you around your table, check out my new book and Bible study, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. These resources will help you savor your life, nourish your friendships, and embark on your greatest faith adventure. You can purchase them at your favorite retailer or margaretfeinbergstore.com. If you do, reach out to me on social media or my website and let me know what you think. Until we meet again, bon appetit and amen.